Welcome to the Just Write Show, where you'll explore the world of the written word, from books to blogs, sales copy to screenplays, emails to essays, and everything in between. You'll discover the tips, tricks, and tactics the most successful writers in the world use every day. And now, here's your host, Travis Cody. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Just Right Show. I am very excited for today's guest, David L. Deutsch. He's a world-renowned direct response copywriter, a marketing strategist, author, copywriting coach. In addition to creating winning promotions from scratch, he often works with clients and writers behind the scenes to turn underperforming promotions into winners. Now, he had a very auspicious beginning working at the renowned advertising agency of Ogilvy and Mather on Madison Avenue, where he worked with clients such as Merrill Lynch, General Foods, and American Express. And from there, he switched to direct response, where he's gone on to generate almost a billion dollars in sales for his clients. And these are some of the leading direct response marketers, entrepreneurs, publishers, including Agora and Boardroom Inc., and with Boardroom, he actually had six winning controls running at once. And for those of you that understand the world of direct response writing, that is phenomenal. That would be like Tom Cruise having the top three movies in the box office on the same week. It's, uh, it's, it's unprecedented. David supervises, coaches, and trains other writers and copy teams both in the U.S. and around the world, including Germany, China, Singapore, England, Colombia, Romania. He's worked directly with freelance writers such as Marcella Allison, who went on to become an A-list writer with Boardroom and Agora, and also Justin Goff, who credits David with multiplying his income 10 times over. Now, if that wasn't enough, David's also the author of Million Dollar Marketing Secrets, as well as Think Inside the Box, an acclaimed book on generating ideas. And he's also written a memory course and co-authored a guidebook to Bermuda. So David... Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thanks a lot. It's great to be here. And, you know, the show is about talking about the process of writing and, you know, how did you get started and where did you come? And we'll get there, but I got to say, I have to ask, how do you write a guidebook on Bermuda? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this was many years ago. Um, did, did this require extensive, uh, you know, trips there for research? It, it required one trip there. And I learned one of the most important lessons um, in, in writing. I mean, it was, a, it was a lesson sort of specifically about guidebook writing, but it was like going into different hotels and, you know, and, and shops and writing little blurbs, you know, for the guidebook, right? And the guy that, uh, my boss, right? He said, the thing you want to do, look for the grandfather's clock, you know, in the hallway, right? Look for that, that one thing that you can write about, that one focus, that one unique, th that one thing that makes that shop unique out of a hundred other shops, they're going to be like it, right? So I thought that was great advice. Look for the grandfather's clock, look you know, the in the foyer. clock. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Just yeah, that what little, a good piece of advice. <clears throat> yeah, just that little thing, that, that thing that's unique. So, so was there one place that had a grandfather clock that was so memorable you remembered all these years later? Gosh, I don't remember any grandfather's clock, but I certainly <laughs> remember, you know, going to the big fort there, going to the Bermuda Princess Hotel, how beautiful it was, and just, you know, being on this island that I'd always, you know, you always hear about Bermuda, but nobody right. actually goes to Bermuda, right? Like, you know, 
right? You, you no, just, well, like well, you know, the popular culture, it's Bermuda Triangle. Like that's scary. You yeah, don't want to yeah, go near yeah. there. And of course, nobody knows where it is either. Everybody thinks it's in the Caribbean. And it's really like off the coast of South Carolina or yeah. something like that. So, uh, and of course, and it's also really weird because it's like going to England. You know, it's a very English island. Wow. Yeah, so, so did, it was a great did, time. Do they actually was... have English accents or is it just very? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. see, now that I did actually, not know. And they wore Bermuda shorts. <laughs> and they had hair on their knees. That is, a, that is a good memory right there. Well, I, it was interesting because the reason that they have hair on their knees is from wearing the Bermuda shorts. The reason we don't have hair on our knees is that our pants are kind of rubbed right. constantly and rub the hair off. And if you wear shorts all the time, like they do, then the hair naturally grows <laughs> on the knees. So I'm like, I'm thinking of a headline there, like you can, the secret between the hairy, you know, be, of the hairy yeah. need uh, people. The, the longevity secrets of the, the hairy need Bermudans. <laughs> I mean, copywriting is just a great field for accumulating really useless knowledge, isn't it? <laughs> I just love that about copywriting. Oh, that's funny. So one of the questions I like to ask everyone on the show is, did you set out to become a professional writer? Was that something as a young age you knew you wanted to do or did writing sort of find you? Well, I had dreams when I was young of being a writer. I don't know that it was anything that I ever was like going to pursue seriously, but, you know, being a writer of novels or, or books or articles or whatever in the back of my head, because I was always good at putting words together. But I really just kind of fell into advertising. I fell into working at Ogilvy. You know, um, it was kind of a temp job to start off with. Um, and uh, didn't even have to do with writing. I, I sort of like figured, well, oh, I'm here at an ad agency. Maybe I should try my hand at writing. <laughs> and then I did and got into it and uh, kind of took it from there. So it wasn't really, it wasn't very planned. And of course, advertising agency is kind of an indirect way of getting into direct response. Right. You know, it was a very, especially in when I was at Ogilvy, it was a very different environment, right? It's brand advertising, it's commercials and print it's Madison Avenue. Yeah, it's, it's Madison Avenue and, and not very accountable. So, <laughs> um, but still, it was a great, you know, I, I just really feel like the problem with a lot of direct response writers is lack of versatility. They're good at a certain kind of writing for certain kinds of products and not others. They can't go back and forth between different kinds of writing or different kinds of products. And I, I was just lucky, I guess, to really work at Ogilvy, uh, different ad agencies, different direct response firms even. You know, I spent a year working for a company that does college recruitment by direct mail. Wow. Um, you know, I spent a year working for a, a, a health uh, direct response company. I spent a year working for a financial marketing direct response company. In addition, of course, to working for different companies along the way for freelancing. And, you know, in each one, you learn something different. You see, well, look what they do. I could take that and I could take that health thing and bring it to investing. I could take that investing thing and bring it to health. So. That's amazing. So did you actually work around David Ogilvy? He was around, you know what I mean? He was in the hallways and, you know spoke to the troops occasionally spent when a lot of time in the whispering in the hallways 
<laughs> yeah, whispering in the hallway, don't don't wear the wrong color shoes, you know, kind of things. Ogilvy is in the building. That's funny. So you started working at Ogilvy, started doing the advertising. So how do you go from working for Madison Avenue and and you know, kind of big brand-based direct response? Well, I didn't even say direct response, just big brand marketing and right. trans transitioning that into more of a direct response. Was there, did, did, did you, were there aspects of what you were doing that you liked and you pursued it further or how, how well, did that transition take I place? Kind of, I kind of went from Ogilvy to working at smaller ad agencies and I really enjoyed um, doing a lot of different things. You know, at Ogilvy, you have nothing to do with new business, right? When you're a just a copywriter. You have nothing to do with media. You have nothing to do with a lot of things. But when I was at smaller agencies, a lot of times I was buying media <laughs> and I was certainly involved in the pitching of new business and stuff like that. So I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed that for a number of years. Um, and then I basically, I discovered Jay Abraham and I was like, wow, look at this, you know, this such a clever way of leveraging assets and, and, making advertising accountable and trackable. And, you know, I, I wanted to kind of be like a Jay Abraham. I wanted to do Jay Abraham kinds of deals with clients. You know, if I make you a dollar, I get 25 cents. Mm. So that, that, so I left advertising and kind of, you know, started freelancing um, and mostly did writing, you know, cause of course doing Jay Abraham kind of deals um, takes a long time. Right. Whereas when people want to pay you money to write copy for them, that's a lot more <clears throat> tempting. So in a way, it's only now, like decades later, where it's kind of, I'm doing more Jay Abraham kinds of things. You know, I'm doing more partnerships with people, you know, and of course, royalties or percent of sales or something, you know, you're very involved in a customer, in a company's business, you know, in a different way. So. So what was the process you used to cut your teeth with sales copywriting and direct response copywriting? Because that's a, a very specific skill set. And, and today, you know, it's like we're, there's an overabundance of courses that sort of teach that skill. And, you know, the most people are, have, have there's, there's so much information. A lot of that I, I feel like, you know, the, the old school provable lessons have been lost because everybody's looking for the, you know, the bright, shiny quickness yeah. but back then you didn't have the internet and you know a million million different mm -hmm. people to go to so what how did you learn that you know i i i learned from of course the classic books right there's a certain degree of what you can learn from books even like now there's a certain degree of what you can learn from courses right right um but it only takes you to a certain point you've, you've got to work under someone who is going to get you out of your bad habits um, who can evaluate your copy that you can see, you, you try to solve a problem, you try to write something and then they take what you did and rewrote it. You learn like a hundred times more from that than anything you're going to read in the book. It's like, Oh right. yeah, I was trying to do that. I was trying to make that work. Look how he did it. Look how he made that work. So, so how, I would, so did you, who were your, did you have a few early mentors then that you worked with that really kind of helped you along? Yeah. Yeah. I worked a lot at first with Jim Rutz Oh, wow. Okay. Um, learned a lot from him. I bet you got some fun stories with that. Oh, lots of fun Jim Rutt <laughs> stories. 
He was quite the character. So what were some of the things that you learned from Jim when you were working? So was he like the first guy you worked with coming into the sort of as a official, pretty I guess? Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. I worked with a, um, uh, I forget the name of the company. He was, he was the first writer that I worked with. So Brian Kurtz was on the show and he told the story of, of Jim and the fact that Jim became very successful and then started his own church. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, that, that's I, a whole I, other degree of persuasive writing. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, I don't know if it was quite that sequence. I, I think he kind of always did the writing to kind of fund his evangelistic work. Um, that's phenomenal. Which was kind of interesting. It was kind of this alternative way of looking at church the way yeah. it used to be, the open church, where, you know, they would have meetings in people's living rooms. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, we need a priest and we need a building and we need a, you know, and everything got regimented and so um, rules and structures. Yeah. So you haven't been a, trained, so you can't teach it. <laughs> yeah. But from Jim, I think I just learned to always be interesting first and foremost. Um, and not to be afraid of speaking to the reader's highest intelligence. Um, so what are some of the ways that uh, a, a writer can make themselves more interesting? to be more unexpected, to be more, there's an exercise um, where you take the first, you take a sentence, right? You cover up the second half of the sentence. You read the first half of the sentence. Does it, do you know what the second half of the sentence is going to be? Right. Mm -hmm. Can you predict like where it's going? And with a lot of Jim sentences, you never could, you never could predict it. Well, you know, like Dave Barry, like he'll right. give you a list of, yep. you know, things. And the third thing will be something like, like Martians. It'll just be totally <laughs> off the wall and make you laugh because you are expecting Martians, you know, right there. Um, it'll be so incongruous, you know, and Jim had a way of, of making analogies. You know, he'd be talking about if you read the opening of, of his book on the open church, you know, he'll talk about Christianity in the you know 17th century. You know, uh, spread faster than McDonald's through America in 1960 or something <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? It's just like, whoa, that's a nice. I wasn't quite expecting McDonald's nice and, the, juxtaposition. and the Catholic Church to come together like that. So he's constantly was delighting you with, with that kind of fresh, not stuff you've read before. You know what? What's his name? Uh, Elmo Leonard. Oh, they asked yep. him what his secret of writing was. He said, I, 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 I throw away the parts that people don't read, you know, <laughs> and that's, you know, that's it really. Don't write the stuff that people have seen before, you know, you know, your arthritis will get better. You'll be able to play with your grandchildren again. And won't it be great to live a life of, you know, being pain free or whatever. Right. Right. Or, you know, you'll make Not money. Yeah. Yeah. It's people want to read you talking more from your from your heart you know from your from your own intelligence and your own experience you know what's interesting is the, the uh, how much of that principle applies just beyond writing so you know one of the complaints with hollywood for the last 15 years is it's like it's all the same they're just either remaking this stuff or they're making all the movies the same i even star wars you know what did star wars do right. they unlimited resources and they just made the remade the original three movies and then along comes Marvel, who's not part of Hollywood, and they're going, 
we're going to we're going to do our own movie studio which first and foremost that got attention because the headlines were like oh cute look at the comic book guys thinking they're going to make a movie and then what did they do with their first movie they took an alcoholic narcissistic billionaire and hollywood went these guys are idiots you don't do that. Everyone knows that that's nobody wants to see an alcoholic, narcissistic billionaire. There is this disaster. And, you know, and now they own Hollywood. Because right. why? They did something right. different. And it was, you know, completely not what people were expecting. Because mm-hmm. unbeknownst to us as fans, you ended up really loving the guy who was a narcissistic, you know, alcoholic billionaire. And you're like, yeah, that guy's kind of a jerk, but I like him. I'd hang out with him. Yep. So, yeah. So that's interesting. What an interesting concept. Always be interesting. So you yeah, always to, be always be the person that people want to hang out with, you know, because you're interesting, because you're you're showing them new worlds. You're 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 showing them how things work. That that you know, uh, whether that's the stock market or their bodies or whatever, you're you're taking them on a journey. It's I like, like wow, I didn't really, oh, that's why my blood pressure goes up. It's like always really be the like, guy that people want to hang out with. Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. Who doesn't want to be the person that everyone wants to hang out with? We all have memories of that one guy in the party and everyone's gathered mm-hmm. around him. Why? Because he's interesting. The truth, the truth of the matter is, especially like I do a lot of work in financial newsletters, you know, with Agora and people like that. And, um, people don't really buy to a large extent, right? People don't buy financial newsletters for stock picks or whatever, right? They. Right. They, yeah, that kind of attracts them. They want to make a lot of money and they, they want a good track record. But they really, they, they buy newsletters because they want to follow someone, right? They want to, they want to their, their writing is interesting. They give them insights into what's going on in the markets in the world. I, I subscribe to Jim Rickard's newsletter. It's one of the few and I don't do it for the stock tips. <laughs> right. He has such a unique viewpoint on like world economies that like that's the whole. I'm like, yeah, hey, yeah, stock tips. What do you what's what's going on with gold? This is cool. Let's see what this guy, you know, former yeah. CIA strategist talks about world economies. Like that's interesting yeah. to me. You feel smarter when you yeah. read someone like Rickards. Yeah, you feel like you're an insider a little bit because he knows people. He's worked at the CIA. Um. So. So you worked with, so you cut your teeth with, with Jim Rutz or like got some of your early experiences. Right. I mean, what, what, a, what a great way to get started and what a great lesson to learn as you're getting started. It really was. And it, you know, it introduced me to people like Boardroom and the big health publishers. And, and so when you were working with Boardroom, I know that they've obviously employed some of the, the, the greatest writers of all time. Did you have the opportunity to work with some of them? With so some Mar- of Marty, the Marty Edelston, I mean, did, oh, Mar- Tobago, oh, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, uh, did, did Eugene, were you there when Eugene Schwartz was still writing for them? I was, I was, I got to hear him once and meet him, which I was really glad about. Wow. Um, but we never worked together. Some, some of the other people I've worked with have been people like Jim Punkry, uh, who I've learned a tremendous amount from. Uh, Dan Rosenthal was a great financial copywriter. Um, John Carlton and I have worked on projects together. I've learned a lot, obviously, from him, from Gary Halbert, mm. um, you know, from Gary in person, as well as, you know, his writing and teaching. Um, That's great. So yeah. based on all of these, I mean, 
like my brain is just spinning because each one of these guys' books have been written, you know, and each of each mm-hmm. one of these are legitimately are 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 studied, and you've had the chance to learn from from all of them. So, just kind of rapid fire, and I'm putting you on the spot here, but um, no. you shared a lesson you learned from Jim Rutz. Always be interesting. Is a what, what can you think of a lesson you uh, learned from Ben Savanga that's made you a better writer? You know, Gary's strength i think is the likability of his writing and and what we talked about the freshness of his writing Mm. but i mean the freshness of his writing and also the likability of i don't know if it's gary or the character from which he writes right but his writing makes you want to be friends with that person that's writing you feel very comfortable you feel like he has your best interests at heart you feel like he's going to look out for you um, it's not a hard sell. There's not a lot of resistance going on. I think that's a, a huge thing that people under, they spend a lot of time how they can like draw someone right to the product, but they don't think about the, per, the, the resistance that you engender when you try to pull someone like that, right? Mm, Cause you try to right. pull someone like starts to pull back. Right. So, the best writers will also deal with the resistance, right? Um, They'll also deal with that by saying, look, I know you may be skeptical. I don't blame you. Let me, it's a very obvious way to do it, but it's deal with resistance, right? I know you may be skeptical. Let me, you know, explain to you why I feel this way. Mm. Um, You know, the damaging admission yeah, so Gary Halbert dealing talks with, about the yeah. yeah, dealing with resistance. Uh, what about Carlton? Anything top of mind that comes that you you learned? From yeah, him? you know, John, not not selling from your heels. You know, um, John would invariably look at something that I'd written and kind of go into a rant, rephrasing it. You know, brilliantly in terms of the exact argument you would make to someone one-to-one, you know, with them, right? Mm, right. So he'd just look at it and he'd go, this isn't what you're trying to say. What you're trying to say is, look, Buster, you're brain dead if you don't go and, you know, get this. Your life is going to be better. You're going to get more text. You're going to get rich. You know, he would just, you know, list the best, just so bad. And he would do it far more eloquently than the stupid, you know, thing that I just did. And he would just go, wow, that's, that's it exactly. That, you know, you could feel the power in that, but I, he just I, had this visceral selling power. I had yeah. a, a conversation with a, a marketer one time, and we were talking about the the difference uh, between Ben Savanga and Carlton. And he was like, "How did he, he's like Ben Savanga's like Shakespeare? It's right. so just beautiful. You read his copy, and you don't even realize, and you're reading copy, and it's just beautiful, and it's poetic, and it's it's yep. tight, it's clean. And he's like, and then you got John Carlton. He's like, and he's like a street fighter. He just comes mm-hmm. out with the knife and goes straight for your throat. And he's like, and both of them work really well, but the styles. And I'm like, that's kind of a. a, a and when you put a letter like a Ben Savinga letter next to a Carlton letter, and you read it, like that's an analogy. I think is very apt. And both of them are just as powerful, but this is like, it's just kind of cool how people have their you know, own, their styles with it. Anyone that wants to be a better writer, 
needs to be able, well, not anyone, but if you want to be a really good writer, right? You need to be able to do that. You need to be able to identify what's Gary Benzavenga's style. What's John Carlton's style, right? What's yeah. Jim Punkery's style? What's Jim Rutz's style, right? What are their fingerprints? How do they do what they do? Because any really good writer, right? Like, you know, uh, you say that to them, they immediately would be able to tell you, right? you know, what Carlton does, like what makes his copy his copy. And, you know, it's not easy to be a better writer if you concentrate on how do I write better, right? How do I make better words, formulas, techniques? But if What's you can- What's the really ninja tactics I can use for NLP yeah. trickery? But if you can really understand Carlton's style, right? And how he does what he does and recognize that. If you can understand Gary's style, how he does what he does and be able to recognize it. If you can understand Jim Rutz's style, like you said, side by side, how is this different? Oh, look at this. He uses different words. He uses different verbs. His sentences are longer, shorter. He, is, is his, he evokes images and feelings, you know, that are different. There's a, there's um, a thousand percent more bullets. <laughs> it, it really enables you to leap as a writer in a way that more techniques and more, you know, writing stuff doesn't do. Right. Because that's where the next level is to stretch yourself. And I think that's it. You know, I think most people, when they get into at least copywriting, a, a lot of authors or, or writers are getting into it because they want to make the money with it. And so when you want to make the money, you want to, what's the fastest way to get started? And so there's an over-reliance on formulas and templates and let me just try to copy and let me just, you know, funnel hack their, their copy. But, right. but when you look at, and that'll get you to a point where, you know, you might be able to survive on that, but it's only the, the writers who have understood the underlying principles and then found how to apply that to their own voice. That's when they, you know, really started to experience the, the big success and the, you know, the lasting letters. Uh, well, right. I think somebody was saying that Carlton had a letter in the self-defense space that like mailed for something like 14 or 15 years successfully. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Which is, yeah. uh, you know, can you imagine if you had a Facebook ad that worked for longer than a month? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and 14 years later, it's still working. So what, so one of the things I get fascinated with, especially in direct marketing, is there's, this, the, there's the concept of being a professional writer where I'm a gun for hire and I'm, somebody's hiring me to write words for them. But then there's also a, a small business owner that, you know, maybe they're making decent money, but maybe not enough money to be able to hire a full-time copywriter or maybe not even to hire a top copywriter to, to write a sequence for them. So it, is there something that a small business owner or entrepreneur could do that would allow them to write good enough copy. Obviously, it's not going to be a Carlton copy or a Pennsylvania copy, but it's it's good enough to get them what they need, which is maybe uh, somebody to open their email or somebody to book a call or you know somebody to to sign up for some sort of package. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's a different challenge in a way. Right. Yeah. An easier challenge. You know, you need to find your own voice. You need to find what works to your market. You need to find, you know, how you can be your, what, what part of you, yourself, right? Your personality, your character will resonate with your audience. You need to just be able to write simply, you know, um, you need to be able to write. 
a lot of times I think it's just getting out of your own way because people who are quite capable of convincing someone of something in person about their product to do something, you know, they sit down to write and they get into this whole, you know, eighth grade book report frame of mind um, instead of just saying what they would say to someone, right? Just be able to say in an email what you would say to someone in person. It's not, you know, it's not that hard, right? Lies, and lies. <laughs> and then that's, you know, that's where kind of format comes in and templates come in, right? So you have like this kind of format to, to pour what you would say to someone in person into. Like, oh, this generally works to have a nice little startling fact in the beginning or a nice little personal anecdote to start off and then transition into, you know, what you want to tell them about why they should buy your product or whatever it is. So what is the process that you personally use when let, let's say that I've, I don't know, I've got a, an amazing widget and I'm doing okay with it, but I come to you and I say, Hey, I want you to write me a sales letter for my widget to sell it. Like how, what, what's your, from like point A to point Z, like what, what is the process you follow to, to create a new package? You know, first is kind of just immersing myself, right, in the market, in the research, in the product. Um, I try to put off the actual writing of something for as long as I can, because <laughs> um, I really love research and I don't love writing always. So um, I, and, and of course, the more you know about the market, the, the, like what appeals to them, the more you know about the product and you can sound like you know what you're talking about about it so people will trust you in it um the better the copy is going to be and so i try to i try to work on the pitch right i try to be able that i could sell this product when i talk to people about what i'm working on and i say oh i'm working on this product it's you know it's uh you know it's a it's a new coffee cup that keeps your coffee hot for you know all day long and you know it works by channeling the, the thermal rays of the sun, you know, and, you know, then I go talk to people about it and they say, why would I want to keep my coffee hot for, you know, all day long or that doesn't sound. So then I have to, okay, now I have to make it appealing and maybe it should only be, it keeps it hot for 12 hours. And maybe I don't mention the sun because they don't, they're not always outside. So, you know, I keep refining like what, so what do they get excited about, about it? Right. Maybe it just turns out they get excited about the fact that it could just keep it hot for, you know, it doesn't get cold after 15 minutes or something like that. It's a very short term thing. That's important to know. So I don't write a whole promotion about how it'll keep it hot for 24 hours because the client is so proud of that. Like who wants 24 hour coffee, 24 hour cold, old coffee anyway, right? So once so, you've done all your research and you've gathered everything, how do you sort through all of that and and, and how do you get over that? And for, for me personally, writing, getting started writing is always the hardest thing. Once I'm writing, it's fine. Once I've written something, going back to edit it, wait, uh, I actually love the editing process, but getting through the first draft, uh, sometimes, you know, that, that'll take me yeah. a while to get there. Well, you know, there's a lot of answers to that. One is just keep writing, don't stop, you know, just, you know, don't allow yourself to stop get one of those programs like, like, what is it called? Write or die. Where if you stop writing, it erases everything, you know, <laughs> makes, makes a horrible buzzing noise, you know, yeah. when you stop, stop typing. 
Um, so that's one way to do it, right? Um, it's important to not start writing too, too soon or too late, right? You don't want to start writing so late that you spend all this time on research and then you start writing and you realize, uh-oh, there's other things I need to find out. Like this is not turning out to be the promotion I did the research on, uh -huh. right? So a lot, because a lot of times you'll start writing it and you'll go, wow, this is, okay, now I know what I need to know. A lot of things become clear once you start writing. I find I can easily put off writing too long. That's interesting. Um, do you know who Max Brooks is? Mm -mm. So Max Brooks is Mel Brooks' son. Mel, Bro oh. Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft. And, uh, and he's written several books, but his most famous one was a book called World War Z. And uh, he's been trending in the news lately because World War Z was about a uh, killer virus that was released from China that then obliterates the rest of the planet. <laughs> oh, yeah. And yeah. then he wrote, he wrote a book that just it came out, I don't know, maybe I think last fall, but it was all about uh, people all having to self-isolate because there was something horrible outside. And so people are looking at him going, these are fiction books, but man, are these things premonition with what's going on and he he talked about how the reason he writes is because he likes to research and he mm -hmm. said for about every hour of uh writing he does he's has done about 100 hours of research and that's why he does it so i think that's interesting that you bring that up as a point that's yeah, like, a little like off topic but i like to say i like everything about writing except the actual writing <laughs> you know i love the research figuring it out meeting clients you know i love having written um, but that blank screen of death. The blank screen of death. I don't know. I, I don't. The blank screen doesn't bother me so much. Um, I think it's just the writing is one of those things you never really know whether it's good and you never really know when it's done. And probably never really knowing whether it's good or whether it's done has helped me a lot to be a great writer because I... I can't keep working at it because it's never good, right? And not knowing when it's done yep. means I'm not satisfied with the first draft or the second draft or the third draft. So it's kind of a blessing and a curse in a way. I, my, I learned that the hard way in my first book because, man, I obsessed over that. It probably took me a year and a half longer to get out than it should have. And then, you know, even though we had – see, we sent the, uh, the, the, the third draft to mm -hmm. friends and family, and they all marked it up with errors – and then we, the publisher had two different editors. They had a copy editor and then a proofreader. And we're like, oh, all good to go. And then we printed it. And I think on like the fourth page, there was three typos. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, how do 20 people read through this thing? And they still miss that. And that's when I like, I finally was like, it doesn't, it, it's never going right. to be completely good enough finished. Is good enough. And, uh, you know, yeah. again. Good enough is good enough. And, uh, you know, hey, look, even, even uh, George Lucas is uh, going back and tinkering with his movies 40 years later. <laughs> so there you go. I guess that's just part of being a, a creative person. Well, so let's, let's kind of wrap things down here. You're, you're obviously, you know, uh, 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 the sage at the top of the mountain in the uh, direct response and copywriting world. So for someone who is thinking about becoming a direct response copywriter or someone who's maybe in the early stages of their their career as a direct response copy copywriter what are what's some words of advice or wisdom you could give someone at that point 
You know, I think the main thing is like I was sort of saying before, you can't, it's hard to be a better writer per se, or be more talented than you already are, or it's even hard to develop skills, which can take a while, but you can know more than other people, right? You can research more, you can um, know more about different styles of writing and be able to incorporate them. You know, that's, I think, the, the biggest leverage for a writer. You could be more familiar with what's gone before in terms of, of promotions for your category, right? Like you're doing weight loss, right? Do you know the whole history of weight loss from when it first started being advertised in the United States? and how it went through different permutations and, and, and you know, what it was like in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and you know, how it got more and more sophisticated and evolved to where it is now. Because if you don't know that in a way, at least have some familiarity, you start writing stuff that's, that's like it was from 10 years ago or 20 years ago, right? Lose 50 pounds fast, immediately. You know, rather than why French women never get fat or something like that, right? Which is a more sophisticated later stage kind of writing. So I, I would just say that be a student of the, the, the history of direct response, the history especially of direct response of whatever area of it you're working in. You know, be a student of other, of other writers, especially the really good writers. You know, like we said before, like what, what, what are the hallmarks of their style, right? What makes Jim Rutz's style, Jim Rutz's style? Um, and uh, even, even a student of, of the mechanics of writing, right? Like what goes into a sentence, right? What, what goes into, you know, why are certain set, like you talked about before, why are certain sentences more interesting than others? What makes a sentence interesting? What makes writing colorful? Why is Dave Berry's writing funny? Dave Barry's writing funny, right? How does he do what he does? Because if you really look at like Dave Barry's writing, he's got certain, he's got like 10 techniques he uses, right? The sequential list, you know, this, 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 really unexpected this, you know? Um, reversals, different ways of doing things. You know, study that stuff. Because um, you can out, you can, you can't, it's hard to outright other people, but you can outstudy other people. Mm. You can be a lot smarter about things than other people. That's a lot easier to do than trying to win by having more templates and techniques and, you know. Yeah, I didn't, you know, I think that this idea of, you know, understanding how even a sentence is put together and what are the components of a sentence most copywriters I know don't understand that. And I would say to an extent, I wasn't as familiar as I should have been until I was working with John Benson. And I had Benson on the show a while back and he was talking about his, his copy pro software that he's got. Right. But to make that, so, you know, he calls it copypro.ai. It's not artificial intelligence, it's augmented intelligence. So a human has to put some of the foundational inputs into it. But the way that he does that is he has, broken down the sentence by, you know, like literally into, you know, the adverb, the verb, the objective, the subjective, mm -hmm. and, and the predicate, the pronoun. And when he's 
when the back end of that software has all so when you as a copywriter you can actually write foundational copy for the software you have to learn how to write that way and man just going through that process alone you start to look at other sentences completely different because you start to identify where sort of the power pieces are at so yeah well this has been a fascinating journey i thank you so much for your time where can people go if they want to learn more about what you do or they're interested in hiring you for a package or you know maybe hiring you as a coach when you're accepting students um yeah a lot of what i do is um working with companies with their in-house and, and freelance writers as kind of a, like a part-time creative director in a way. And uh, I really enjoy doing that because uh, like we talked about, it's, you know, it's the newness working with a lot of different kinds of products and people. So, um, but I've also got some products and things. So people can go to the website, which is davidldeutsch.com. Uh, that's, D-A-V-I-D, L as in Lee, and then Deutsch, D-E-U-T-S-C-H.com. There's a, a free report they can get to there as well. And uh, it'd be great to uh, see them there. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for your time. This has been a fascinating conversation. And uh, I can't re- wait to uh, read one of your next uh, packages that you had your fingers on. Oh, me too. (laughs) All All right. right. Take care. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hey, it's Travis Cody. Thanks for listening to The Just Right Show, and I want to make sure you're plugged into everything we've got going on. Go to traviscody.com forward slash show and join the email list so you can get notified when new episodes come out. Plus, you can find links to the transcripts of every episode we've done in the past. You can also grab a free copy of my best-selling books that share even more details on how you can up-level your own writing skills. Finally, if you enjoyed the show, I'd consider it a personal favor if you'll leave me a review on iTunes and Spotify. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.